0: Going through a hard time? This is a test. I repeat, this is only a test. You may be experiencing a difficult season of health or a painful relationship breakup. You could be struggling financially or failing college. When that happens, Dana Gresh says we often experience three kinds of tests. The test of our appetites, the test of our memory, and the test of our strength. Find out what these tests are and how to pass them in this message from Dana. It's based on the test the nation of Israel faced in the wilderness, as recorded in Numbers, chapter 11. I want us to be women who hold God's
1: Word and use it accurately, not women who hold God's Word and use it how we want to hear it. And um, that's a really important distinction because there are a lot of people today who, through their craving, are using God's Word and they're making it say what they want it to say. And I, this, is, this is a sentence, as I was thinking about this, I wrote down and I sat back and I went, that's too good for Dana Gresh to have thought it. That had to be Jesus helping me. So here's what I wrote down. It's easy to conform the word of God to be our comfort rather than do the hard work of conviction so that we conform to the word of God. It's easy to conform God's word to our comfort rather than do the hard work of entering into conviction so that we conform to the word of God. And we're in a season right now that I think we can be, it's easy to crave the comfort. And I think God does want us to comfort. I think God does want us to be comforted by scripture. But it's not quite as easy as we sometimes make it. I want to tell you that what we're going through right now, I believe absolutely, without a doubt, this is only a test. I repeat, this is only a test. It's a drill. And um, the epic problems that we're going through in this world, the confusion, the division, the fear, the political unrest, and all of your personal problems inside that, it's just a test. So I want you to imagine with me, some of you won't have to imagine too hard that it's almost finals week, right? So some of you guys are approaching that in days and finals are not fun. Whoever was like, yay, it's finals week. I know some of you probably did. Raise your hand if you were that person. Anyone? Yeah, I know. Why did I know? There's always one in every crowd who's like, thank God, it's finals week. The rest of us are like, when is this going to be over, right? So during finals week, you're just kind of like, I don't really want to, read." like, it's why is finals week always in the spring when it's so good to be outside, so fun to party, and and the weather is just calling you, you want to go, but you got to study the chapter, you got to study the chapter so you can pass the test, right? And then the friends are like, hey, Friday night thing, and you're like, no, but Monday at 8 a.m., I got this test, and you're like, I want to go with the friend's. Friday night, and so you go with the friends Friday night, and then you sleep in Saturday morning, and then you make yourself a tall stack of pancakes, you smother them in Mrs. Buttersworth. It is glory, it is comfort, it is awesome, and then Monday morning, 8 a.m. shows up, the test. You didn't do the hard work. You didn't study the chapter. You didn't read the chapter. You didn't do the hard work. You're not prepared for the test, and so you cheat pass or fail, how's it feel? Comfortable? Are you comforted? Does that feel good? No, because when we cheat, it's a shortcut to the comfort. And God's tests invite us to take the long road to the comfort. His tests that he brings to us in our lives, they take us to the hard work of finding the comfort. Now, it does bring us the comfort, Because if you take that test and you've studied and you've rolled up your sleeves and you've read the chapter and you've applied the chapter and you've understood the chapter and the chapter makes sense and you get to the multiple choice questions. I hated the multiple choice questions. I was the only girl who loved the, the essay tests. Give me that big old scary empty book and let me write an essay. I can do that. But the oh multiple choices, I had hives. But then I'd pass it and it felt so good. I was comforted. I was comforted by the hard work of passing the test and earning that passing of the test. I'm telling you that whatever you're tired of right now, whatever you're going through right now, it's just a test. It's just a test. Diapers, dishes, deadlines, it's a test. Pandemic, politics, what other P can we think of? Painkillers? It's just a test. It's a test. Are you going to pass it? I refuse to send you out of here today with comfort verses that will give you a short-cut comfort that is not lasting, that does not enable you to pass the test that God has you in right now because I want you to come out shining. I want you to come out with the true comfort. I want you to come out to know I studied, I read the chapter, I took the test, I passed, and God saw me do it. So, um... Let's go to class today. We're gonna go to class today, and um, it's gonna feel good in the long run, but these are definitely not Pinterest-friendly verses we're gonna look at. I've titled my message, Comfort, Cravings, and Conviction. That's for Aaliyah, the note takers over there that like finals week, because they like to write titles to their messages down. I know because I'm one of them. So I felt for a few weeks that today the message that I wanted to bring you wasn't a comfortable one, but it was a harder one. And about a week or so, I started to chicken out because I really did want to bring you the happy verses, the comfort verses. And as I said, they're in there, they matter, but I don't want us to get to them the fast way. So we're going to go to the book of Numbers 11. Now, Numbers is definitely, I have never seen a Pinterest Yeah, not from Numbers or a t-shirt from the Book of Numbers. I've never seen it. If you've seen one, I want to know. Yesterday, I actually did chicken out. I decided I am not going to do this. This is ridiculous. This is not what these women want to hear. And uh, I don't know if I want to be the one to hang my neck out there to tell them what is in the Book of Numbers. And about half an hour after I made this decision, I got a text from my friend, Kimberly Wagner. And she and I are in this group, this thread of women from all across the country they are in leadership at some level, and we pray for each other, and we share things with each other, we've gathered. We knew about Zoom like eight years ago, so we gather every month in Zoom, and we pray for each other, and she sent this. This is I wanna read it to you, exactly what it said. This week, as my husband and I reached Numbers 11 in our daily reading, I recounted to him the message Nancy brought to women on that passage, titled Graves of Craving. She's speaking about Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth, he's in that thread. Graves of Craving, isn't that an exciting title? And how it impacted hundreds that day. So ladies, I'm teaching on Numbers 11, that's exactly the passage that I was studying to bring to you, I feel like the Lord said, if that doesn't excite you, well, you can go. (laughs) Turn there, Numbers 11, as you do, let me tell you a little bit about the book in case you've been tempted, as I have, in many instances to skip over it. So the Israelites were in captivity in what country for many years? Egypt, that's right. It's been two years since they've been out of Egypt since the Lord has delivered them from that place. And um, that's a good thing, I'm excited about that. But they have been really frustrated and um, they've been grumbling. Now I would be too, because ladies, they've been camping for two years. Not glamping, as in glamour camping, but camping for two years with toddlers, okay? So, you know, they're probably tired of the dirty toddler toes. They're probably tired of the um, cooking over the makeshift campfire. They're, they're sick of it. They're over it. Forget the kids saying, Are we there yet? Mom is saying, Are we there yet? <laughs> Please tell me we're there yet. And of course, they're not. These women are at their wits' end. And if you look back at um, Exodus, They've already collectively decided, hey, let's all have pity parties together, right? Like four times they've had pity parties. And God has showed up every single time in those pity parties with a miracle. Ooh. God has showed up in every single one of those pity parties with a miracle. One of those is manna. They're like, we're hungry, we're hungry. They've run out of livestock. They've run out of the food supplies. That'll happen if you're camping for two years. You're going to run out of stuff, right? They couldn't run down to the little tiny whatever general store that has like you know, Holman's bread and a can of beans and get some, they were out and they were hungry and God shows up with a miracle manna. But they're tired of the manna. I don't blame them. Listen, there's two things about manna that I'm very excited about. One is when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Jesus, can I see the jar of manna? Could I taste one? For some reason, the manna has always intrigued me. I wanna know, what was it? Uh, This week I was actually studying what could it have been and there's some, you know, there's always these scientific theories of what it could have been and in that region of the world, there's some insect poop that could qualify for manna. It looks like what's described in the Bible. It tastes like what's described in the Bible. I don't know who tasted it. I don't wanna know who tasted it. Um, And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna settle for a miracle of God. We'll just go with that. But there's this miracle of provision of food, and they're tired of it. Now, the other thing I know about manna, not only do I want to see it, um, I don't blame them for getting tired of eating the same thing every day. Anyone? Like, my husband's always, when he goes on a diet, let's just eat the same thing every day. We'll have the eggs for lunch, we'll have the turkey sandwich for, for dinner, and whatever. Like, and I'm like, I can't do that. I I need the variety, so I don't blame them, but here's the thing, in the middle of all the manna, the miracle of the manna, in the middle of all the camping, they had become complainers. They had become grumblers. Been there, done that. You? And here's the thing, I think that um, we've become complainers and grumblers this past year. And I think some of our, opinion, I think some of my opinions anyway are right about the situation. But we have become complainers and grumblers, right? And I'll say this, and maybe it's just because most of the people I follow on social media are believers. But I feel like the Christians really look like complainers and grumblers. I think we do. I don't think we look like thrivers. I don't think we look like strong believers. I don't think we look like faith-filled people. I think we look like loud, complaining, pity party grumblers. That's what I think. You can tell me your opinion about that later. Right now I have the mic so I get to share my opinion. But I'm concerned about it and it's one of the things that turned me to this passage. And so um, I wish I could teach on the passages where God makes the miracle decisions like the manna and the other things he does in Exodus, lots of miracles. When we get to numbers, he's like okay, you've complained a lot. It's been two years. I've shown up. I've been faithful. I've provided every time. Now we're going to go to school. We're going to read the chapter. We're going to learn the lesson. We're going to apply the miracle time that was then. Now we're going to learn. So today we're going to go to, we're, we're going to, go to school and we're going to learn. We're going to learn what we need to learn from the Lord so that maybe we can walk through the rest of this test well. So let's turn to the book of Numbers, verse 11. And before I read that to you, I wanna read this to you and remind you that this is only a test. This is from Deuteronomy 8:2. It tells us, the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you. He's testing you. It's only a test. It's only a test. So let's read Numbers 11, verses four to six. It says, now there Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. Okay, right away I circled the word rabble and I wrote in the margin, I don't know what they are but I don't want to be the rabble. I don't want to be the rabble, okay? Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving and the people of Israel also wept again, again, did you see that word, again, and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. I wanna talk to you about the test of your appetite the test of your memory and the test of your strength. First of all, let's look at the test of your appetite. We find it in verse four. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. If only, if only we had meat, right? I don't, again, I don't blame them. I don't like eating the same thing every single day. But what they're saying is that this amazing miracle that God has given to us, we are no longer thankful for. It's not enough, if only they had meat. And here we find one of the greatest lies that exists in all of scripture and in our hearts, and it's this, God is not enough. God is not enough. Eve believed it at the base of the tree. If only I had the apple or pomegranate or whatever it was. If only God plus the pomegranate, that would be enough. What's your if only right now? What's the one thing you crave so much that you believe you would be okay if God would give you that? A new job, a bigger paycheck, a husband, a friend, an end to your current trial, a healed body, a blessed bubble bath once in a stinking blue moon. Like who needs one of those? I know, I do, (laughs) amen. What are you telling yourself? If only I had this, then it would be enough. Then I'd be happy. That's your craving. That's your craving. They were tired of the manna, God's food, and they wanted something different. The math, the math is God plus this equals contentment. That's the lie. That's the lie. And I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it over and over and over again. And they were saying, Lord, we'd sure like something other than a sweet little piece of whatever this thing is that manna is. And we can say, Lord, I'm tired from taking care of the babies. I'm tired of leading my team. I'm tired of waiting for love. I'm tired of leading spiritually. We can tell God those things, but be careful how we tell him those things. I need to tell you what God says about Israel's if only, the meat thing, right, okay? So look at verse 20 in chapter 11. 1120, in 1120, we read that God says, you have rejected me. What? No, they just wanted some meat. They're just tired of the manna. And God says, no, you have rejected me. You have rejected me. They were not satisfied with God and God alone. Listen to me, every time we give in to a craving that begins to consume our lives, it has become an idol. When we need God plus fill in the blank, that has become our idol. Now, how does the idolatry turn out to them? for them? How does the idolatry turn out for them? I want to tell you because this is really important. I think you know how idolatry turns out, but just in case you've forgotten, I want to read to you Numbers 11:31, verses 33 and 34. So God gives them what they ask for. He does that. You see this pattern in scripture. You heard it in a testimony today. God gives us what we ask for, even though he knows how much it's gonna hurt. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and left them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. Does that sound like a lot of birds to you? Okay, it's a lot of birds. They're like up to their neck and they, it's gonna take them a while to walk to the end of the bird supply. And then look at verse 33. While the meat was yet between their teeth, Before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibrath Hatava because there they buried the people who had the craving. Idolatry is sin and sin always leads to Death. not going to find that on Pinterest, not going to wear that on a t-shirt. Your craving will lead you to a grave if you do not learn the lesson God is teaching you through your desire. Learn the lesson God is teaching you through this desire, whatever your craving is, whatever your if only is. I'm gonna sign some chapters for your homework because you gotta read the chapters to pass the test. And so your chapter to pass the test of the cravings, one of them is Philippians 4. The whole chapter is good if you've got a craving in your life. Meditate on it, soak in it, read it tonight when you go home if this sounds like it's something you need to study for. But let me just read verses six and seven. Don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How do you pass the test? How do you pass the test of your appetites? Tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. says it right there, black and white. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Just as the craving has a math equation, God plus something equals contentment or enough, contentment has a math equation too. Tell God what you need plus thank him for what he's done equals contentment. Be content with what he has provided. Listen to me, I know that when I'm saying this that it could be hard because some of the things you've shared a need for, a craving for, uh, a missing of, they're very, very precious things. And so I, I don't wanna speak about this as if I haven't felt the need for God's comfort when I have a craving. And so I wanna go back just a few months in my life to when the thing I was begging God for, the craving I had, was that my baby granddaughters would be born alive. It's pretty precious. Even there. Tell him what you need, thank him for what he's done. Tell him what you need, thank him for what he's done. I, every night I would get on my knees and the sofa in my bedroom and I would say, God, I need you to let these babies be born alive. I need that. And It was hard to find what to be thankful for, so I always came to this. Lord, thanks for putting Addie and Zoe in Aaliyah's tummy. I had that. They were in there and they were safe for today, for now, as far as we knew. I did the math equation for contentment. Now, did that mean I felt comfortable? No, so you know what I had to do every single stinking night is comfort my heart with truth, and I did that. I'm gonna have the girls pass out um, uh, it's my comfort tools, okay? It's a list of my comfort tools, and the first tool on there is um, an album by Christy Knuckles called Be Held, Love Songs for the Beloved. Have any of you ever heard this? They're lullabies. And they're beautiful. My, my grandbaby girls love them. But they're, they're for me. Love songs for the beloved. And I would go to sleep at night, usually with tears wetting my pillow. God, I need you to heal those babies. I need you to protect those babies. Thank you, Lord, that they're in Aaliyah's tummy, safe and sound right now. And then I would have to fight back the fear with a comfort tool. It's okay to comfort yourself. It's okay to comfort yourself. Now, there's another chapter I want you to study when it comes to the test of cravings, but I'm gonna save that for just a few minutes. Let's move on to the test of our memory. In verse five, we see this. Let me read verse five to you again, lest your memory does not hold it. It is, after all, test of the memories. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Of course it cost nothing, they were slaves you feed slaves because you want slaves to work. That's how the whole thing works, you feed them. Because the next day you can say, hey, go build bricks, and by the way, no straw today, because we're mean and hateful and we don't like you, and we want it to be really painful and awful for you. And yes, there will be free fish at the end of the day. They'd forgotten. They'd forgotten. Oh, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Now, maybe if you're Leah Call, that sounds like a really yummy plate of food. She likes her veggies. I just watched her eat a salad with mustard on it. I had to ask her about it. She said it tastes delicious. You can try it sometime if you like, but there's a woman who loves her veggies. So this, this might sound, she could probably make something of it if she had a, some mustard. And, um, and yet I read it and I go, yeah, take me to the bakery, please. Right? Okay. But... They weren't exotic foods. Um, In fact, I read that the leeks were actually the food of slaves. They were plentiful in Egypt. They grew like dandelions in an unkept field. They were cheap, and that's what they would feed the slaves at their lunchtime because they could just chop them, throw them in a basket, and throw them out to them. My point is this. They weren't craving exotic food. They weren't craving delicious food. They weren't craving wonderful food. They were craving the scraps of food that their slave owners gave them. Their slave owners gave them this food. And I actually was thinking this morning, didn't they get sick of those leeks the same way they got sick of the manna? But what we do when we're in between where God is taking us from, where God is delivering us from, and we're not quite to where God is taking us to, we paint pictures of Egypt. We paint pictures of our Egypt, and we leave out everything it lacked, and we fill in all the things we didn't like. We paint over them to make them such a beautiful, idyllic picture. We forget what God's delivered us from and we forget where God is taking us to. Um, We grumble, we complain. Listen, what I wrote this morning about my own self, and see if this fits, when I complain, I'm really saying I have forgotten God chose this for me. I have forgotten God's authority and God's right to rule over my life. Anybody else forget those things? i call it spiritual amnesia do you ever have a case of it do you ever have a case of spiritual amnesia Um, where it's just been a really long time since you've spoken a word of gratitude or praise for god because you're not looking to him you're looking to all the stuff in your world that's wrong is your heart content where you are today no matter how hard it may be, no matter how precious the cravings you have may be, is your heart content where you are today? If it is not, you will never be content. I learned this one on the hot pavement of life. I tried to be content by fixing everything in my world all around me, never worked. Had to get down to the fact that God was enough. Is your heart content where you are? Remember, Paul said he was content in a cold, dank, rank jail cell. He was cold there. He wanted a cloak, but he was content in that place. If you're not content, you might be struggling with spiritual amnesia. You might not be passing the memory test right now, so let me school you up. I once heard that to remember is to put back what is dismembered. Tim Keller said that in a message I was listening to you to. to, to, I love him. I adore him. Much as you would reattach a limb that has been dismembered, sometimes the act of spiritual memory is putting back what is not there anymore. The contentment of look what you did to deliver us from from slavery. Look how you took me from that bondage. Look how you rescued me from this. Yes, I'm in the wilderness and I'm in the between place, but I can be content here. We put back our faith. We put back our trust in God. We put back our certainty that he is in control and he chose this for me. He chose this for you. I'm going to go back to that passage in Deuteronomy 8:2. I referenced it a little while ago. I want to read the whole thing to you. You don't need to turn there. It, it reads, "And you shall remember, remember, put back what is not there. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that He may humble you, testing you. Remember, this is only a test, a test of what, to know what was in your heart." whether you would keep his commandments or not. Testing to know what? To know what's in your heart. What's in your heart? God's testing you to know what's in your heart. If it's, if if you're discontent, I want you to know this, it's not a condition of your life. Write that down. Discontentment is not a condition of my life. Whatever's wrong in your world, discontentment is a condition of your heart. Luke 6:45 tells us that out of the abundance of our heart, not our bank account, not our love account, not our power account, out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. Is your mouth complaining and grumbling or praising God? Is your mouth telling God what you need and thanking him for what he has done or are you grumbling and complaining? That proves what's in your heart at least according to God's word. That's why Proverbs 4.23 teaches us, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If you have spiritual amnesia, you do not have a condition in your life that needs changed. You have a condition in your heart that needs changed. And here's the chapter you need to study, or one, for the test of your memory. James one, and I'm just gonna read two and four to you. James one is awesome. And we're actually gonna practice this right now. We're gonna actually apply this one just right now. We're gonna roll up our sleeves and do it. James one, two, and four says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it up, that's what James says you struggling in your trial? Are you struggling in your wilderness? Are you having trouble passing the test? He says make a list, write a list, count up. All the reasons that you can be thankful to God right here in this place right now. I remember many years ago, almost 15 now, my husband broke his pelvis. And um, I, in a, jet, in a jet ski accident, you can laugh if you want to because that's ridiculous. Some of you may remember that. Um, I remember trips back and forth to Camden, New Jersey to the trauma center. I call it hell on earth. I've never been in a trauma center before. It's the scariest place I've ever been. I was homeschooling one child, and I had another one in the Christian high school. Bob and I had started months earlier, months earlier. Bob's hospital bed was in my dining room. Okay, that would be trial enough. Had to drive him to my mom's for showers. Every morning, he wanted a shower. Every morning, he needed a shower. Every morning, that man needed a shower every morning. (laughs) If I'm honest, I think he just needed to do something, right, because he was rotting away in a bed. I remember walking him one night and our new puppy, who by the way was not yet potty trained, that was a nice little extra that God gave me, through the neighborhood in his electric wheelchair and and the wheelchair ran out of juice. I did not know you needed to charge those things. So I'm pushing him through. And it's not like I can just roll it because they have like a resistance factor when they're not charged up. Didn't know that either. And I I remember sitting down with the Lord and saying, I can't do this, I can't do this, how long is this gonna be? And the doctor had said what he he saw on the x-rays wasn't good and there might need to be another surgery and we'd have to start this whole thing all over again. And I was like, no God, do you know about the showers? And through tears, I pulled out my journal and I started to write a list of all the sweet things God had done in those hard weeks because I had a bad case of spiritual amnesia. And you know what the first one was? And it was probably the only one I needed. My husband was alive. Against every odd, the doctors told me. My husband was alive. Another one my mom drove me back and forth to Camden. What? My mom is not a prayer warrior, my friends, she is a prayer general. And if you need someone to drive you to a trauma center, it should be a prayer general. Find one. Call her when you need her. Find one. She's a prayer general. I had a list. It was pages and pages long when I was done applying James 1. And we're going to just do it right now. We're going to list a few of the reasons. I'm going to ask some of you to just grab the mic and tell me, why has the pandemic been a blessing for you? Let's look at the test of our strength But now our strength is dried up, says verse 6 in Numbers 11, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. The word strength means the soul or the inner being here in this passage. Um, I had a dear friend tell me just this week that she feels like she's languishing. Now, I don't use that word a lot, so I had to look it up, but I could tell in her eyes it wasn't a good thing, and she felt desperately awful. She studied the word. She's like, I know this is what's happening in my life. I looked it up, so I looked it up. It means to suffer from being forced to be in an unpleasant place. You know what happened when I looked it up online? News article after news article article the word languish or languishing was in the headline. Lots of languishing people right now. Their souls are dried up. I want you to know something. My soul is not dry. My soul is wet with the living water of Jesus Christ like it has not been in the longest time. He is giving new visions, new dreams, new passions. My husband and I are united in those things. I am wet with the living water of the spirit of the living God. And here's the thing, I wish that I could say collectively when the world looked at the church, the lost, they should be afraid of death. They should be afraid of this pandemic. They don't have eternal life to look forward to, but we should not be afraid and we also should not be languishing our strength should not be dried up we should be running into this we were made for this we were made for this I want you to note the progression we've been seeing as we look at these tests they become harder and deeper God trusts us as we pass one test or don't he takes us to the next one because it's deeper and harder if we don't pass, he hopes that eventually we'll start to be like, I should go to school. I should actually read the chapter, right? I should study for the test. And if we are passing, my friends, I'm afraid you don't skip the progression. At least I haven't in my life. He's like, I, you, I, good, you passed the test. I got a harder one for you, Dana. From physical craving to mental instability to soul weakness, their strength is dried up. And when the battle comes to our soul, we do find ourselves losing our strength and finding ourselves weak. And I long for us to be a church, that people look at us and say, what do they have? I want that. Does anybody else wish we were that and know that we aren't? I know women who are like that. I know women who walk through hard things and I go, I, what is she reading in the word of God I need to know? Who is she praying with? I want to meet them. But there's not enough of us, and I'm praying that today God births some new ones. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor who carried men and women through the horrible aftermath of World War II in London, he wrote this, Christian people too often seem to be perpetually in the doldrums and too often give this appearance of unhappiness and of lack of freedom and of absence of joy. He's writing this when London was in rubble. 30,000 people died in the bombings, the air bombings uh, in London in World War II. And he's saying, in that, there should not be absence of joy. In that, there should not be lack of freedom. In that, there should not be an appearance of unhappiness. Yes, it will be hard, but we should not look like that. And then he writes, there is no question at all but that this is the main reason why large numbers of people have ceased to be interested in Christianity. Have you read how many people are leaving the church right now? In droves? and that a third of them are expected never to come back. Why would they? What do we have that they don't have? Are we those women that they say, I don't know what she's reading in the Bible, but I wanna read it. I don't know who she's praying with, but I wanna meet them. Are we those women or not? Because if we're not, let's stop playing and let's just join them and not come anymore. And I just said that we go to church, I'm sorry. Well, there's some good news. The first is that we are the church and we carry it with us. And this, the other good news is that um, this is where if we study and we roll up our sleeves and we look at what's going on in numbers, we can start to experience the comfort. If, if we embrace the conviction. You see, the Israelites had the strength they needed, they just didn't know it. They just didn't know it. Okay, so Moses, right after this passage, Moses starts complaining. Yeah, the one who's like leading them, their leader is like, oh. Now he's not complaining about the the food. He's not like, give me meat. He's like, God, give me another career path, please. Anything but them. Just like beam me up, take me somewhere else. I want some happy people, enough of the rabble. I don't want the rabble. He's overwhelmed by his job and he wants out. But Moses has been to school. Turn back to numbers one with me. I want you to see something. Moses has been to school. Numbers one, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they'd come out of the land of Egypt. The Lord was speaking to Moses. He was positioning himself. Where was he? In the tent of meeting. He was saying, okay, God, I don't know how to pass this test. School me up. Numbers two, one. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, numbers three when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. Numbers four, one, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying. Numbers five, the Lord spoke to Moses saying. Numbers six, one, the Lord spoke to Moses. Number seven, on the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle. Okay, you gotta go down to verse four, so let's skip. Then the Lord said to Moses. Eight, one, now the Lord spoke to Moses. Nine, one, and the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. It's like he never got over it. It's like he never got over the incredulous idea that God was his teacher, that God was talking to him. Ladies, he did not skip class. And do you know what he does with his craving? Tell me if this sounds familiar. He tells God what he needs. He tells God what he needs. He doesn't talk about God and about what God has done and what God has chosen and what God has brought him to. He talks to God. Lord, I really need some help here. And God does give him some help. He says, okay, we're gonna assign some elders. And now I want you to look at verse 25 because this is where the news really, really gets good. And this is what I've been praying that the Lord would do in our hearts today. In verse 25, the elders are there. He's he's picked 70 men from the elders of the people and placed them around the tent, the place where he's heard God speak. He's inviting them, listen, I hear God voice. This is where school happens. This is where I'm learning to pass the test. And he brings them there to that place. And verse 25 of Numbers 11 says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, Moses, and took some of the spirit that was on him, Moses, and put it on the 70 elders. Mm. I'm gonna keep writing because you need to see what happened. And soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. That's good news, right? Look at the next phrase. But they did not continue doing it. I'm afraid that's so many of us. We come to stuff like this, we get a bolster of God's spirit off of some woman next to us that's got a big dose of it, and then we leave and we stop. We stop prophesying, we stop hearing, we stop receiving, we stop. But, keep reading with me, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad, the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them, so they prophesied in the camp. They kept pressing into the spirit. They kept listening to the spirit. They kept in the school of learning of God. And when they went into the camp, it was pouring out. That's the kind of women we need to be, like these two men, that we come and receive God's spirit in a new way, in a fresh way. And then we go out and it pours out all over everybody around us. They had the power all along. They didn't need to be weak. The spirit and when God, poured his, when God moved his spirit from Moses to the others, it wasn't like there was more of it or there was less on Moses. There is an infinite amount of God's spirit in all places, in all manner, at all time, on all of us. You can have all of it. You have the power. You have the power. Look at Ephesians 3. I want you to see this. This is the chapter you need to study if you're feeling weak. Because there's no there's no other place to start but that you need more of the Spirit. Ephesians 5, um, 18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop the superficial cravings. Be convicted, let, let the conviction settle upon you and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the grammar there suggests that, that, we, that, we, um, that we've already, we are filled and we are filled at the time of salvation the spirit fills us we are the temple of the living god of the universe he lives in us we carry him with him with us everywhere we go but but the connotation here is that but, but keep getting filled get more receive more moreness 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 i think the lord wants to tell us that today what i want to read to you though is in first corinthians chapter or ephesians second corinthians where am I? Ephesians, I, I, I wanna be in Ephesians 3 and the Lord will help me find it. I'm in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, there's Galatians, it's a good book too. All good, study all the chapters to pass the test. Okay, Ephesians 3, I want th- to read this to you. For this reason, Paul, a prisoner, remember the prisoner in the dank, dark, cell. is he content in that cold, dark place? A prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. He, 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 this, this content man, this is, this is, what, he, he, this is what he says to, this, to us in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened, to be strengthened, not languishing not weak, strengthened with what? With the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God today and we're gonna worship until you get it. So come on up worship team and I wanna give you one more final chapter. This is the chapter you need to study for all the cravings, it's Psalm 34. Whether you're struggling with the craving, or, or whether you're in the test of the cravings, or the, or, or, or the test of, um, what's the second one? Memory. Yeah, yeah, oh, how fitting, how fitting. <laughs> how fitting. Or, <laughs> or you're struggling with the test of memory, and I don't mean the kind that happens after you're 50, but the kind that happens in the spiritual sense. Or if you're, you're struggling with the test Of strength. Psalm 34 is the chapter you need to study. I'll just read verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How fitting that the Israelites had so many physical cravings for food. And do we? We sure do. They say the average person gained 29 pounds during the pandemic craving for food, craving for comfort, and yet we're invited, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Our test always starts with our appetites, our cravings. What if we satisfied them with the presence of the living, loving God, the spirit of God who is in us, who is on us?
0: This message was originally recorded at a women's event for Center Church, Dana Gresh's home congregation. If you're struggling to remember God's faithfulness, it will be difficult to pass the test of memory. For help, get a copy of Dana's six-week Bible study titled Habakkuk, Remembering God's Faithfulness When He Seems Silent. Find out more about it at danagrush.com. This conversation was taped and produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.